sense of, of heaviness, the, the heaviness in your heart. It feels like the weight of the world is just laying squarely on your chest and, and tears have flowed to the point where it almost hurts to cry anymore. And, and not only that, but you're caught up in your mind in, in, in this whirlwind of worry and despair mixed with a little bit of bitterness and throw in a big helping of dread. And nothing seems to lessen the uneasiness that you feel. Nothing seems to dull the pain that you would experience. And it only makes it worse. Now this is me, maybe not you, but I'll just give my testimony. It only makes it worse when you realize that perhaps that suffering that you're enduring can be directly linked to a wrong choice you've made in the past. Tonight, we're going to take a look at Psalm 3. It is in Psalm 3 that David is experiencing one of those soul-crushing, heart-wrenching trials. Psalm 3 is actually the very first psalm that is, that is specifically attributed to David. There are 73 of those psalms that are specifically attributed to David within the, the book of the psalms. And as with many of David's psalms, he's writing about a personal experience, but that personal experience is not just a, a testimony for the testimony's sake. He's not just speaking to, to blow hot air, as it were. He is directing our attention to the worship and praise of God. And as he does that, he's instructing other worshipers about worship in the midst of some of life's deepest and darkest trials. Even those trials that might be able to be traced to your own wrongdoing in the past. In Psalm 3... David teaches genuine worshipers of Yahweh how to face trials with faith. He teaches genuine worshipers of Yahweh how to face trials with faith. Let me read the psalm for us. It's Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, How many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God, Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Salah. You see this. These, these, these words interspersed throughout this psalm, Silah, it's, it's a word that, that, that's probably a musical note that tells you just to pause and think about that. It's almost like asking a question, what do you think about that? How do you think about what I just said to you? And that's, this, this psalm is meant for us to, 
to, to read slowly and to consider thoughtfully as we work our way through the psalm. And what I want to do is, is address each stanza of this psalm. There are four of them. And each stanza addresses a different issue in David's life. For instance, in verses 1 and 2, in the title and in verses 1 and 2, we note something about the circumstances that David encountered. The circumstances that David encountered. It's really a quite an extraordinary psalm for us to consider as we think about exactly what is happening here. Just look at the, at the title that is attached to this psalm. It's a psalm written by David, but what is amazing to me is that it is written when he fled from Absalom, his son. There is so much emotion pent up in that phrase that I don't think we, we, we can't, we, we have not considered for ourselves because we just read them as words and we fail to understand that there is a real, there are real circumstances behind these words. There was relative peace. At this time, there was relative peace in the kingdom of Israel. And there was a general rest from the enemies of David. But there was something brewing. You know how it is if you're a parent and you have a young child and you don't hear them for a little while and you know that there's pro- it's going to have something to do with flour and sugar in the kitchen. You don't hear them. They're, they're being quiet. And you just know you're going to walk around the kitchen. And there they are with the 50-pound bag of flour everywhere. You know something is brewing. Well, here in the midst of peace and the midst of quiet, you know something is brewing in Israel. For the child of God, there really is no downtime. There's really no ease. There's really no time to, to relax. What happens in this case is there is what can only be a real scene as a tragedy within the royal family had been brewing. brewing. You see, David's son, Absalom, I think it's his third son, Absalom, is rebelling against his father. He is leading a coup in Israel. And this is not intended to be a bloodless coup. The reality is Absalom was out for blood. He was out to bring down the reign of his father. And along with bringing down the reign of his father, he was going to bring down his father. He is leading a coup in Israel. And this means... That there couldn't be any result but death somewhere. The death of someone. And I just want to ask you. If you can imagine what this must have been like for a father. To have a son. Who is bent on his father's death. We know that David loved Absalom greatly. And now his own son issued a death warrant for his father. But we also know something else. We know that this was simply a heartbreaking result of much of David's short-sighted and wrong decisions. And he owned it. 
One of David's other sons, you remember, Ammon raped his half-sister named Tamar, who was Absalom's sister. And David did nothing to address the situation. He was just very angry. Absalom, for a long time, seethed in his rage against Ammon, but ultimately seethed in his rage, seethed his rage against his father David. You can read about this. Maybe tonight you'll read about it in 2 Samuel chapters, what is it, 13 through 15. Now there is an all-out coup being attempted. Absalom has planned and plotted for a long time this coup. And David now only has a few hours perhaps to get out of town. And thus he fled. And there were only a few men who remained faithful to David. Look at the circumstances that he encountered. First of all, he is surrounded by many enemies. He is surrounded by many enemies. Do you see how many times, three times the word many is is emphasized there? It's repeated. That's a note for you. Take note. Understand this. There are many enemies. This is no exaggeration. It's not an overstatement. If you read the account, we find that indeed Absalom had spent a long time preparing this coup. He had gathered with him many people. A good-sized army had been gathered together. And many of David's once-trusted friends, once-trusted advisors had gone with Absalom. You notice that they are rising. There's this sense that there's this mounting uh, 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 enemy against David. Many are rising against me. Many are my foes. You see how things had gotten with David? He was on the run from his own son who was seeking his death. Second Samuel 16, 11 leaves no doubt he was seeking the death of his father. And you know what? As I said, David could trace this back to his own wrongs. How terrible that must have been. Not only to have the, the experience of knowing that your son wants you dead, but knowing that a lot of this is owning owing to your own faults and your own failures as a father, not just as a father, as a leader. He was surrounded by many enemies. But not only that, do you see also these circumstances that he was surrounded by malicious enemies? See what they're saying? Many are saying of my soul, of my person, the deepest part of me, there is no salvation for him and God. There are not only many, they're malicious. They're saying there's no salvation for him in God. Even God can't save him now. Let me just uh, take you back quickly to 2 Samuel chapter 16, and I'll just give you a, a four instance. 2 Samuel chapter 16. And this really struck at the heart. It, it pricked David's conscience. In, da- in 2 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to read in verse 5. 2 Samuel 16, verse 5. When King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shammai, the son of Gerah. And as he came, he cursed continually. He threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shammai said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. 
The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. And Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he's cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? There's the sense here in which David is pricked in his conscience. Those stones are landing on on David's heart and on his soul. He's surrounded by many enemies and malicious enemies who are intent to do him harm and to call out that God cannot save you. In fact, this is the judgment of God on you, sinner. The circumstances that he endured. But then you move to verses 3 and 4 and you see the cry he expressed. There's this There's this back and forth that's going on here. The cry. There's this rising up of the enemies. And there's this crying out of the enemies. And just then David remembers. His his thoughts rise. David remembers something about God. Oh listen. It is good to remember your own sin. It is very good to remember your own shortcomings. But let us not forget who God is. And David recalls the character of God. Do you see what he does here? In the midst of his despair, he doesn't just wallow. He doesn't just say, woe is me. He doesn't just, he does that, but he doesn't stop there. He looks to God, but you, O Lord. He doesn't try to defend himself. He just doesn't try to excuse himself, to justify himself. But you, O Lord, he looks to God, the one on whom David has flung himself time and time again for mercy. Think about his sin with Bathsheba. He remembered God in terms of his character. He said, God, you are my shield. You are a shield round about me. Recalling, of course, God's words to to Abram in, in Genesis 15.1. But God, you are the shield around me. And my glory, you're the one I serve, Lord. It's, it's as if David is remembering this. He's recalling this. And he says, you are the lifter of my head. Again, let me just take you back to 2 Samuel chapter 15 for a moment. And I'll show you why that's significant. 2 Samuel 15 verse 32. Uh, um, no, verse 30. 2 Samuel 15 verse 30. This is as David is fleeing. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. This is on the opposite side of the eastern side of, of, the, the, of the city of Jerusalem. He goes down that that hill and then goes up the the side of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. You see that sense of which 
He's, he's, in a mourn, he's in a state of mourning. His head is covered. He, he's in a state of hiding. And he says, God, but you are the one who lifts up my head. You're the one who gives me hope. It's in you I can trust. And what did he do? He began to remember God, and with a loud voice, because he remembered God, he called on the Lord. Based on God's revelation of himself, David cried out to God. It was, it was, he, he, did, he didn't do it inwardly, he cried aloud. This was publicly, he's doing this aloud. Now, I don't know that, that, that this is happening as they're fleeing. I don't know if this happens once they get to the caves in which they're hiding, but David recalls the character of God and he just extols God and cries out, lifts up his voice in a loud cry. Could you imagine what it must have been like for the, the people who had joined David? And they're wondering, oh my goodness, there's our king. He's crying out. Is he hurt? Is somebody, gonna, is, is somebody trying to, to, to approach him? Is somebody trying to attack him? But no, he's lifting up his voice to God. God, you are this. You are, this is your character. And something amazing happened. And he answered me from his holy hill. This is an amazing grace, isn't it? This is an amazing mercy. David did not deserve this. He did not deserve God listening to him. He did not deserve God's God's hearing of him. God's answer. Yet God listened and heard. You see what's happening? David is actually, the Lord is actually using David to prepare worshipers to look to God for salvation. God works salvation on the basis of mercy and grace, not on the basis of merit and grit. And he's using this psalm to, to, to prime the pump, as it were, to, to prepare the way, to tell worshipers that they can rely on a God of mercy, even in the midst of a trial that they can trace back to boneheaded decisions. Wrong choices they've made. The circumstances he endured, the cry he expressed, verses 5 and 6. The confidence he evidenced. <laughs> with that, with that understanding of the character of God, David just evidences such confidence in the Lord. Why? Because of who God is. And thus, he has done what he could do. And what could David do? He could cry. And then he did what he needed to do. And what was that? Sleep. John Phillips has written this, In the midst of torment, torture, and treachery, David smiled up into the face of God. Good night, Lord, he said. I've done what I can. I have put as much distance as possible between us and the foe. I've posted a guard. Now do thou sustain our calls. And with that, he went to sleep. There were ten thousands of foes, for Absalom had the numbers, but David had God. So he slept. He slept and guess what? He woke up. 
And when he did, he realized that it was the Lord who sustained him. That there, therefore, he didn't need fear. Do you see that, that simple thing that happened? He slept and he woke up. And he realized that the Lord had sustained him. So he said, I, I don't need to fear even if thousands would be raised against him. That's what a child of God does. That's what a worshiper does. In the midst of a trial that might even be a result of wrong decisions in your life, the child of God can rest in the Lord. It was William Cooper who wrote, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. He cried. And he was confident. He, he, he enjoyed this wonderful confidence from the Lord. I lay down and I slept and I woke again because the Lord sustained me. That's a great verse for us to quote tomorrow morning. I lay down and slept and I woke and the Lord sustained me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at verse 7 and 8 and that's the final stanza. And this is what we notice here is the comfort that he experienced. The comfort he experienced. Arise, O Lord. He, 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 he recognizes that the Lord is doing something. Come on, Lord, the enemies are rising against me. Now you rise and save me, O my God, for you strike my enemies on the cheek. You know, it, it, it's as if the, the slap of the cheek that breaks their teeth, that, that takes away their power, that takes away the, the sting of their malicious slander against Him. What Something happens, and it's subtle, but something happens in the last verse. David shifts from the first seven verses I, me, my. I, me, my. And then all of a sudden, something happens in verse 7. He moves from I, me, my to your people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing, your blessing be on your people. See what he wants to do? He wants the people to know that salvation comes from God, not man. And you need to know that what David is talking about here is not some temporal deliverance, but it's much more than that. Why? Because I think what was happening in Absalom's rebellion was actually a satanically inspired attack against the messianic line. Why do I say that? Turn with me back again to 2 Samuel chapter 12. This whole tragedy of the Bathsheba encounter results in the death of the child that came from that union. 
And then we read this in verse 24 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he, Nathan, called his name Jedediah because of the Lord. Jedediah means one loved by God. I I believe that the Absalom, the, the rebellion of Absalom was a satanically inspired assault against the messianic line because that messianic line was to come through Solomon, not Absalom. I can only wonder what it must have been like. And, and this, this is the great comfort that David experienced. What was that? Realizing, recognizing, understanding that God would do His work in spite of him. I can only wonder what it must have been like for those men who had joined David, joined themselves to David. There they were in the caves where they had gone so often before. And here's aged David once again running and now it seemed like he was ruined. I mean, his head's hanging down. The insults are being hurled at him. But then all of a sudden they look again and there he is writing this psalm. And when he finishes it, I imagine that he turns to them and he reads it to all of them. And there is a freshness and a hope like they've never experienced before. What do we learn from this psalm? Maybe four things. One, it's very possible and even probable that God's children will face extreme circumstances and sometimes those will be a direct result of wrong choices from our past. It's very possible And even probable that God's children will face extreme circumstances and sometimes those will be a direct result of wrong choices from our past. Second, those wrong choices and extreme circumstances do not cancel or change change the character of God. Praise the Lord. Those wrong choices and extreme circumstances do not cancel or change the character of God. That's what David was able, even in the midst of that, to recall and remember who God is. Three, God is always approachable on the basis of His mercy and welcomes the cry of His child. Praise the Lord. You see, you you can look at things that you experience in your life, and you see that that's a direct result of that. Oh, I hate that. I did that. And I'm experiencing the, the fruit of that. I'm experiencing the, the consequences of that. But that does not cancel or change the character of God. And it doesn't change God's willingness and God's approachable, approachability on the basis of His mercy. When his, child, when his child cries out to him. Praise the Lord. See what David's doing? He's, he's, he's strumming up praise and worship and trust and hope in the lives of worshipers who are not perfect. 
And number four, it is in the midst of these circumstances that we learn that salvation belongs to Yahweh. This psalm is about laying the groundwork for the people of Israel to tell them that God will send his salvation. And listen to this, friends. No enemy and no trial and no suffering and no hardship and not even your own pig-headed decisions can ruin what God has in store for his own. Praise the Lord. So what happens? When in the future you find yourself locked in a trial or hardship and you say, you know, I see the roots of this. What do you do? Do you fret? Do you fear? Do you forsake God? No. You mount up in righteousness and godliness, trusting yourself to a faithful God who, who isn't changed, who isn't somehow hampered or hindered, but He's just God. He's just being who He always is. And, and recall the character of God and cry out to Him. It doesn't make your life... God didn't make all of a sudden these things disappear, but it's a recalling the character that God of, of His character that He does what He's promised to do. He's faithful to do it. And it's trusting Him. Understanding, Lord, in the midst of this trial, what, what, are, what, are, what are you doing? You're bringing me back. You're, you're drawing me back to this one thing, and that is you. And what do you do in the midst of those trials? You praise the Lord. That's what David wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do. You praise the Lord. None of this, <clears throat> none of this jargon that says, well, praise the Lord because things could be a lot worse. That is about the worst kind of advice I think I've ever heard in my life. Praise the Lord because it could be a lot worse. You could be laying on the side of the road bitten by a poisonous snake. You could be run over by a bus. It could be a lot worse. No, no. Praise the Lord. Get your attention on Him. Focus on Him and His character. All that He is. Praise the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's what David wants everyone, especially those worshipers, to know. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this psalm. Thank you for including it in the Scriptures. And I pray that you'll press its eternal truth on our hearts. That we might praise the Lord. Even in the midst of trial. A trial that can be traced to our own wrong decisions. Our own sin we trust you and we thank you that nothing cancels or changes your character that you are the constant and it's even those trials that that lead us to trust you 
And so we do that. Not on our own merit or our own grit, but on the basis of your mercy and your grace in Jesus' name. And together all God's people said, Amen.